0: Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Casey, I'll be honest, I have no idea if we were supposed to go down, but I made an executive decision after Nathan tried to kill us with that song. You know, normally when I sing those really high songs in choir, um, I have a whole Sunday school class to warm my voice up, and I'm talking for like 40 minutes, and uh, and now it's just get out of bed and sing this song way way up in the clouds. Just sing as high as you can, and I needed to drink before I walk straight here, Casey. So, sorry about that. That was my call. Nathan, if I violated some of your authority there, you know, just forgive me. Um, You know, my bad. Uh, Yesterday, just this is nothing to do with the sermon, but yesterday, Nathan really outdid me. Uh, Normally, you know, I have five kids and Nathan has five kids. We don't buy gifts for each other and, and our families because... That's a lot of money. That's honestly that's the reason why. So we, you know, we celebrate together. But but you know, I buy for my kids. Nate buys for his kids. Well, I thought yesterday I would really get the upper hand in this relationship. And so while we were out uh, bargain shopping, I found what could probably be described as a gag gift for Nathan. When we were kids, and I know that I'm dating myself here, and I promise I'll be done with this in a second, but when we were kids, we played the Nintendo, like the original Nintendo, a ton, way more than we should have played the original Nintendo. And I like sports games and kind of, you know, athletic. and Nathan's favorite video game, and I'll I'll just tell you, you can go home and, and Google it if you'd really like to get a kick this afternoon. You should, you know... Bayou Billy, which is basically a a crocodile Dundee type of knockoff where this guy's going through the Louisiana Bayou in an attempt to uh, overthrow a mob boss. And so I found this game at a thrift store for like nine bucks. And I thought, I don't think Nathan has anything that can play this game. But I found the game just for nostalgia, bought it, wrapped it, gave it to him. And I thought, yep, I've got the upper hand. I was really thoughtful. And then he gave me tickets to a Celtics basketball game. And I thought, daggone it, man! I just—I <laughs> was terrible, you know." And then I felt bad giving him buy you, know, Bayou Billy. Uh, <laughs> supposed to go watch the Celtics play, but—but but it was a good day, and it was a restful day, and we needed it for our family. I know that uh, Christmas Day is not, you know, an easy restful day for everybody, and I know that it was—it uh, can be tough. And I'm sure for people here that yesterday was a tough day, and. And I want you to know that I'm I'm, uh, I'm sympathetic to that. And uh, I tried to take time yesterday to pray for all of the ones around the, the congregation who I knew it would be a tough day. And I hope that you are encouraged by the Lord. And, and I hope that. Uh, yesterday was, was alright. Uh, today, let's turn our attention now to the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, I'm going to read them to you, and then we're going to cover a more traditional outline here of 1, 2, 3. So, first 11 verses. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas... Then by the twelve, after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. What a powerful passage of scripture! Uh, I think it's a powerful passage of scripture. I resisted the urge. I, I held back uh, the tears that I started feeling because I know some of you don't like it when I get emotional up here, and uh, and that's all right. I understand. I'll try to be a man today and be tough and not show any emotion. How about that? But we're going to cover this this passage in three points. First is the basics, and this is all about the gospel today, all about the gospel. Point one: the basics. So let's Let's just focus now on verses 3 through 7. We'll come back to 1 and 2, but 3 through 7. What are the basics of the gospel? Well, we have it here. And it seems perhaps more simple than it is. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, that's the first part, that the basics of the gospel. Christ died for our sins According to the scriptures. Now there's a lot there. There's a lot in that simple phrase. When we say Christ. We're not using Jesus' last name. When Paul writes that Christ. Died. He means the Messiah of Israel. Died. The prophesied Savior of Israel. Died. The prophesied one from Genesis chapter 3. When There would be a seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head. The prophesied one from all of the visitations to Abraham that in his offspring all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The prophesied one to Daniel who saw one like the son of man coming in the clouds. The one Moses spoke of who there would be a prophet like Moses after him. When we read that Christ died for our sins. We mean this prophesied Messiah. The one told of by God the Father through prophets from the beginning of time. He came and he died. And the purpose of his death is that you and I are sinners. And need saved. So it is a loaded statement to say that. The first part of the gospel, the basics of the gospel, Christ died for our sins. And if you struggle with presenting the gospels to others, uh, with presenting the good news to others, I would start with this basic phrase, did you know Jesus Christ died for your sins, for my sins? Did you know that? And then, hopefully, just saying those words will trigger the very basics of what it is that you now have to explain. And it doesn't take a long explanation. You know, when I say Christ, I mean the one whom God said was going to come. You know, God told us that Jesus was going to come. And when I say he died for our sins, I mean that we needed a Savior to pay the price for our sins because you and I are sinners. This is the message which Paul received. This is the message which Paul delivered. The basics, Christ died for our sins. Verse 4, he was buried and he rose again on the third day. Again, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again. Part of the gospel that you cannot avoid and you cannot skirt and you cannot circumnavigate is the idea that there was a miraculous defeat of death that took place by what Jesus did. And you can't make it wishy-washy. And you can't make it some ethereal ghost resurrection. Jesus Christ died. His physical body was buried, entombed, put away, wrapped up. And he resurrected from the dead. Verse 5. He was seen. By real people, it goes on to say, Cephas, the twelve, as many as five hundred, many of which, as Paul is writing, again, 1 Corinthians, generally thought to be chronologically the first New Testament book written. These people were still alive, although he acknowledges some have passed away. Some have passed away. Now, what's the purpose of the fact that this resurrection of Jesus happened and he was seen by all these people? It was a bodily resurrection. He was not some ghost. He didn't resurrect in our hearts. He didn't resurrect in our dreams. We didn't have a dream about him. It wasn't a vision. He physically beat death. He experienced death. He physically beat death. And that is a part of the gospel presentation. If you tell someone, you are a sinner who needs to be saved. I mean, frankly, any honest person ought to be able to swallow some capacity of that. But let me tell you, if you stop there, you have fallen short of the gospel. The gospel is the Savior has saved you and has demonstrated in His own body the salvation that you need. Resurrection from the dead. So what's the consequence of sin? Death. Jesus experienced death and He had victory over it. So these are the basics of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. A. B. He was buried and rose again on the third day. See, it was a bodily resurrection witnessed by many. This is why sometimes when you read the New Testament and you read what must I do to be saved or, or you read Peter's great uh, you know, uh, uh, ev- evangelical sermon on, on the day of Pentecost when you read these things. Sometimes it almost sounds like they're focusing on different elements of what someone must believe. If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, if you believe that Jesus Christ rose again, th- these, these different elements come into play because they're all important. None of them are optional. It's a basic message though. It's not complicated. It's not hard. Every person in this room should be able to acknowledge that they're a sinner. Every person in this room comes face to face with death. Every person in this room knows they have no power to defeat death on their own. So, what does the world do with that? Well, you can take the world's tactic if you want. You can either give in to the nihilism, the defeatism of death. Well, it's all going to come and we're all just going to cease to exist. And we're going to mold into the, you know, our, our biology will mold into some other form of life. And, 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 but, but you're gone. But you'll continue on in the molecules. And the you could, you could embrace that. No real meaning, no real, no real purpose, no real hope for you after death beat you. You could embrace that. Or you could embrace the super ethereal kind of idea of what happens to a person. Well, there's hope because we could all go float up to heaven in the clouds. Or we could be somehow reincarnated spiritually into this new physical being. I'll come back as something a little better or something a little worse. And if I do that well enough over time, eventually I'll reach a state of nirvana. and, And, you know, it's all just hyper spiritual nonsense that offers no bodily help to anybody. What well, what does Jesus say? Yeah, it says anyone who believes in me, yet though he dies, yet he shall live. Real life. That's what's promised to the Christian. Just get out of your head any idea that heaven is some spiritual ethereal existence in the cloud. It's not. It is a bodily, real existence. In fact, I believe that this earth is going to be remade, that the kingdom of God will be here, and we will physically exist on it in new resurrected bodies. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. Now, that's not so basic. I'm not going to get into that this morning. But the basics of a real bodily resurrection are there. Now, if you've got to ask me which one I want to hope for, which one I think the great creator of the universe would provide for his people, You know, I'm not much for nihilism and I don't care much about the possibility of being reincarnated as something else. I want to be saved. I want to live. I want the people who love God and who love me to know me and I want to know them. I want to be with them forever. I want to know God. I want to see God. I want to put my hands on this Jesus who died on the cross for me. I want a real, bodily, eternal existence. And that's what Paul's driving at here. You better believe that's what he's driving at here. The second half of 1 Corinthians 15, which is for next week is, Look, if there be no bodily resurrection from the dead, then we are of all people most to be pitied. There's no point in all this if it's just some hyper-spiritual idea. If it's just some vain hope. He corrects the Corinthians real fast. But here, just the basics. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. Everybody saw Jesus Christ in the body who saw him. It wasn't some, some spiritual existence. If you were invisible eye shot, you could see him. That's the basics. And someone says, well, you know, I believe that. But the rest of the Bible, I, I'm not so sure. You know, I, I'm willing to believe in Jesus. And I'm willing to believe in, in, in the death and resurrection. And I understand we have to believe those things. But... Do we have to believe the rest of the scriptures? Well, it seems so. Again, verse 3, according to the what? Scriptures. Verse 4, according to the scriptures. It seems like Paul is making a point. A point that Jesus himself made. More than ten times in all the recorded teachings of Jesus, which according to John is a fraction of what Jesus actually said. But we must assume it's recorded because it was the general theme of what Jesus said. And in what we have recorded from Jesus in the Gospels, more than ten times in those recordings does he point people to the Scriptures. Over and over again, I'll give you a couple of examples. There's this parable of the landowner's son. And, the, and Jesus uses this to really rebuke uh, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the, and the leaders at the time. Because he says, you know, there was, there was a master and he owned a vineyard. He planted a hedge around it and he leased it to some tenants. And then, you know, they, they weren't uh, paying the honor that they were supposed to pay. So the master sent some servants and they beat and they killed the servants. He sent some more servants, they beat and they killed some servants. The master says, I'll send my son. They'll respect my son. And this is a picture of God the Father sending his son Jesus Christ to Israel. Again, the Messiah of Israel. Saying, surely they'll respect my son. And it says, and when the son came, they beat him and they killed him. And they said, here's the heir, we'll, we'll destroy him. We'll seize the land for ourselves. And it says, Matthew 21 verse 42, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures... Jesus taught from the scriptures have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone this was the lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes uh, jesus knew the bible and his challenge is how don't you know the bible too <laughs> so you got to understand this gospel message has dependencies upon the revelation of God. It comes to us by the revelation of God. It works in conjunction with the revelation of God. Another time in Matthew 22, 29, when correcting again the leaders on the resurrection and marriage, he says, you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. The power of God is revealed to us in his word. Matthew 26:54. while Jesus is on the way to his crucifixion, moments before his arrest, moments before his surrender to captivity, when one zealous disciple takes a sword to decide he's going to take matters into his own hand, Jesus stops him and says, I have to do this. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Here's the rebuke of Jesus in John 5 that week that he is crucified, teaching publicly days beforehand. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. I think, I think we can't really separate the good news of Jesus Christ then from the scriptures. He is, after all, the Word incarnate. We start with the basics of the Gospel, but anyone who believes the Gospel wants to know what God has revealed in His Word. Jesus in Matthew five, seventeen through eighteen, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Yeah, you know, I think our Bible study times are pretty important. <laughs> I think it's pretty important. That we know the basics of this salvation message that we've received. But you know what else is important? Knowing the power of God in His Word. It's important. It's a big deal. First point. The basics of the gospel. There they are. Christ died for our sins. Buried and resurrected on the third day. Seen in the body. Alright, second point of the sermon today. This is a gospel that's not only basic. This is a gospel that is Accessible. Accessible. When we say gospel, we mean good news. How good is the news if it's not accessible? If you can't access it, if you can't get to it, if other people can't get there. How good is it if it's locked away? Now, its accessibility is highlighted here in two ways in 1 Corinthians 15. First, in verse 1, look at verse 1. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you. Now, when I hear that, i got to think in the framework of writing this letter to the church in Corinth. Now, again, Paul's writing a letter. It is, I think we should know by now, kind of a corrective letter, right? Not a lot of this is gentle. The kid gloves come off in 1 Corinthians quite a bit. And so when I read this, when I read him saying, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, I hear my mom or my dad telling me I'm going to tell you again the same thing that I told you in the beginning, right? Because this is what Paul's saying. Let me now in the due course of this letter, and this is right before he lays out those basics of the gospel, let me now tell you again, declare to you again the exact same gospel that I preached to you when I showed up in Corinth in the first place. What's he saying? It hasn't changed, There has been no update, there's been no revision, we're still on version 1.0. You know, have you ever found yourself, you moms and dads out there, telling your children the same thing over and over and over again? Not because they're too dumb to move beyond it, but because what you told them in the first place was good enough, was sufficient? Of course you know that. If you're a mom and dad, you know that. But, you know, even the sweetest mother in the world... I mean, the sweetest mom in the world, the most gentle, compassionate, kind-hearted mom, when their child goes blitzing through the house and falls down and bangs or cuts or scrapes themselves, and the poor child is just beside themselves screaming like it's the end of the world, right? What does mom still find a way to work in to the, 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 the comfort uh, of her dialogue? She says, this is why I told you not to run in. The house. You know, like the kid doesn't need to be reminded of that right now. I mean, he's screaming, he's bleeding, it's the end of the world, you know. And, 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 mom, sweet little mom, you know, I told you, you know, just like the, you know, I am declaring to you now the same thing I told you in the beginning. Why? Because it was good enough then. And it's good enough now. Let me tell you something. A gospel that is constantly changing versions is not very accessible. Which version of the gospel are you on? Oh, you're way behind. We've moved on. We've, moved, we've, let, we, you know, we've graduated. That was the basic level, you know. But we have, you know, an increased knowledge of things now. Let, let me bring you up to speed in your mind. Well, I thought what I had before was good Was I not saved? Was my faith not real? I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you at the beginning. There are no updates. You know you can trace every major heresy, every false version of God's word back to all sorts of updates and revisions. Like it's an operating system on a computer that you got to keep hitting the, you know, the little circle button. Hey, the updates, update's pending. Islam. Jesus was a good prophet, but actually, there's an update. There's been another prophet from the great God. You know, Mohammedan, and, and he, has, he has the new version of what, of what Jesus was saying. There are no updates. There is no new version. Mormonism. Jesus, he was a son of God, but he wasn't the only begotten son of God. No. There's been no revision. Jehovah's Witnesses. Jesus, you know, he died on the cross, but actually, he was originally created as an angel... You know, we know this because of, you know, later revelation. There's no more updates. You can go on with the modern day stuff. You have to, you know, you actually you have to be baptized to be saved. Actually, you've got to take communion in order to be saved. You know, we found out you really need to speak in tongues in order to be saved. Did you pray the sinner's prayer? You can't be saved unless you pray the sinner's prayer. Did you invite Jesus into your heart? Whatever that means. Did you invite, you can't can't be saved if you didn't do this. You can't be saved if you didn't do that. There are no updates. There are no revisions. The same gospel, the same message Paul preached 2,000 years ago in Corinth. We are still today on version 1.0. You ought to be happy about that. It's accessible. Second, part of the gospel that we find in these verses points to its accessibility it's transmissible it's transmissible look at verse 3 for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received it's, it's real simple Paul received it he delivered it to them Can you imagine if the gospel was locked behind some higher level of learning and education? Where in order to access it, you had to, you know, pound your way through the gates of the ivory tower. Prove your great intellectualism so that then at the top of the tower, you know, the wizards of our world, the great scholars, the great, you know, the great minds, the great thinkers could then convey after all of your your learned preparation could then convey to you the secret to eternal life. You know, it's like Indiana Jones. Can you imagine if eternal life laid behind the gauntlet of Indiana Jones' search for the Holy Grail? Can you imagine? Well, you know, you just got to make it through this booby trap and through this corridor and decipher this ancient scroll and follow this map and then beat all the Nazis. And at the end of the day, you could have eternal life. You know, that, that, I'm sorry, that's not accessible. A gospel that is good news must be basic in its essence and it must be transmissible. It can't be changing all the time. It's got to be shareable. It's got to be easy to transmit. Transmissible. The gospel of Jesus Christ has to work in dungeons. Because there are people in dungeons who need to be saved. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has to work on crosses. Because there might be a thief there that needs to be saved. And the gospel has to work on deathbeds. It has to work at family gatherings. It has to work to little children who barely understand more than a very simple existence of life and death in the first place. And it has to work with people who have been wounded and broken and are at the very end of their life. It must be transmissible and it is third part of this. How then is it transmitted? Verse 2, Paul says, By which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you. Verse 11, Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Preached. Don't get confused. Yeah, I'm preaching right now. This is not all preaching is. Preaching the word, proclaiming. And that's what you do with good news. You proclaim it. Don't get mixed up by the churchy English word preached and think that takes place right here in the pulpit. No, the gospel is basic. It doesn't change. It's transmissible. And all you have to do is share the word. You say, well, wait a minute. If it's that easy... How come more people aren't saved? I mean, it doesn't sound like I'm doing very much. That's right. (laughs) That is the easiness of it. You're not doing very much. What do you have to do to share the gospel? Well, I need to come up with a psychological strategy that's going to cut to the heart of my anticipated resistances and the people that I'm going to share with. And once I've, once I've anticipated all of their potential responses. And once I've memorized all of the proper rebuttals to all of their responses. Then I can share the gospel with confidence. Because all of their unbelief I will be equipped to defeat. That's not how this works. And that's not how you got saved either. That's not how this works. You do precious little in this. Besides the faith. To speak. (laughs) By the way you think. Well you know. I'm not sure that that really jives. With the whole message of the Bible. Have you read about the prophets in the Old Testament? I mean. How much did those guys really get tasked with doing? They were supposed to go somewhere. And they were supposed to say something. (laughs) That was it. You know? And then you can see Moses in front of the burning bush. And he's doing exactly what some of you do when you think about sharing the gospel. He's trying to anticipate Pharaoh's response. And he's trying to anticipate the children of Israel's response. And he's afraid because he's not a good talker. You know, he's a stutterer. He's got a stammer. He's afraid. He's afraid. He's afraid. He's afraid. And God says, hey, Moses, throw your staff on the ground. It becomes a snake. Hey, Moses, put your hand inside your coat. And it comes out leprous. What is God telling him? You don't have to figure this out, Moses. Because I am with you. I'm the one that's going to do the work. Yeah, the gospel is transmissible. And if you're not transmitting it, it's an issue of faith in who exactly is going to accomplish what here. Look, if, if you think... And I know, I know the temptation to feel this way. Because we don't want to let anyone down. And we certainly don't want to be embarrassed. Right? And we don't want to be in uncomfortable situations. But if you think, well, you know, I've got to figure all of this out in order to share the gospel or else I'm going to be a failure. Let me tell you something. that All of those fears are going to feel like they're affirmed the moment you share the gospel and somebody doesn't get saved. And you'll never do it again. Or else it'll be a really long time. That's not how this works. You share the gospel. God changes hearts. That is not your job. Nor within your power. You share the gospel. The Lord works. Now can you, can you tell someone. That Jesus Christ died for their sins. And that he was buried and rose from the grave. And that he did that. So that they can rise from the dead too someday. Can you start that simple conversation? That's good enough. And the first time they ask a question that you don't know the answer to. Let me tell you how to deal with that. You say, I don't know. I don't know. We can figure it out. We can go to the scriptures and figure it out. I don't have an answer for you now. But I know this. You are a sinner. And you need a savior. And I want you to know he loved you enough to die for you on the cross. And this was God's plan to make sure when you die. You can be with him forever. You just keep going back to that well. That's what they need to hear. The gospel is basic. And the gospel is transmissible. Point number three this morning. Moving on. Last one. This is a gospel that converts. Now, not everybody likes the word convert. Because they think of a convert. And they think, well, it's my job to go around converting people. And again, this is where point number three is important. It is a gospel. Gospel. It is a message that converts. You don't do the converting. Your conversion takes place by what God does in you. You don't convert other people. You share the gospel. The message converts. Now, I just want you to 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 see in verse eight Paul's testimony. And this is great. This is a great idea when you're sharing the gospel. Just share. If you run out of things to say, or if you feel like you know, I shared the gospel, and and you know, I. I want to share more. Here's a great, tell them about your conversion. Tell them what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Tell them what the message did to convert you. If you're a Christian, you've got a story like that. Well, my story's not good, you know. I wasn't a drug addict for 20 years and didn't spend five years in prison and on and on. Look, if your view of your sin before salvation is so trivial that you don't think it was bad enough to share with anybody, I can't help you. You need to go back to theology school. Your sin is bad enough. And if God has changed you, that change is supernatural enough. And this is, you know, this is Paul, verse 8. Look at what he says here. He says, look, all the apostles saw him. You know, the group of apostles who walked on the earth, his disciples. Verse 8. Then last of all, he was seen by me as by one born out of due time. (laughs) What a phrase. Now, when Paul says that, he doesn't mean, you know, I really should have been a child of the 60s. You know, I like their music and I like their art and everything. You know, I was born in the wrong. That's not what he means. (laughs) No. Paul, as an apostle, you get the sense he feels like a square peg in a round hole. Here are these other men who walked with Jesus and who Jesus called out of their lives and who went through the trial of the crucifixion and the test of faith and the resurrection. And, you know, he sees all the other apostles and he looks at himself. And you get the sense that he wishes for all the world that he could undo his past. But you can't undo your past. He says, last of all, <laughs> this message reached me as one born out of due time. What Paul wouldn't have given to have been born 20 years earlier? <laughs> I, I, I wish I could have walked with Jesus from the beginning and not responded the way that I did. And we know that's what he's thinking because that's where he goes. Look at verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles. An interesting evaluation since he's going to go on to say he works the hardest of all of them. What does he mean? How can you be the least if you're working the hardest? Well, his past. I am the least of the apostles. Who am not worthy to be called an apostle Because I persecuted the church of God. Paul held the coats as they stoned Stephen in Acts 7. Those were his formidable years of training. In Acts 8, we begin with this synopsis of Paul. This is the first three verses of Acts 8. Now Saul, his name at the time, was consenting to Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles... And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. But as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. That's why he's the least of the apostles. I mean, I can't even fathom that. A man so zealous against the church, he was going into people's homes... And dragging off men and women. To prison. To put an end to this. He says I am the least of the apostles. And I am unworthy to be called one. I don't know if you ever feel. Like you are unworthy. To be what God has blessed you with being. If you don't I question your understanding of your own situation. It's kind of shocking then that some people use verse 10 as a justification for their poor behavior in life you ever heard somebody say you know you talk to them about a problem in their life or somebody else does and they say you know I am what I am you realize when Paul says those famous words he says it in the complete opposite way of that he says in verse 10 but by the grace of God I am what I am what does he mean I'm unworthy to be called an apostle but by God's grace I am what I am If you don't feel that, moms, if you don't feel that, dads, if you don't feel that, teachers, if you don't feel that, brothers and sisters, if you don't feel that way, Christians, you don't understand the grace of God. You certainly don't understand your own depravity. Paul understands that. How hard is it to work that into a gospel presentation? How hard is it for you to look somebody else in the eye and say, hey, look, I don't have the answer to every question you're going to ask, but let me tell you this. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a Christian brother, I serve the Lord and the church of God, and I will be with the Lord forever. And let me tell you, I'm not worthy of any of that. It is only by the grace of God that I am what I am. I was this before. I don't deserve any of this. And this is what God gave me. This is what God made me. He gave me the right to be called a son of God. If you can't say that, then I question how passionate you are about your own salvation. I mean, that's not complicated. That's not deep theology there. That's the basics, and it's Paul's basics. This is his gospel presentation. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Isaiah 53 6 says all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I mean if you can't confess your own sin then you're not serious about proclaiming the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. You can do this. You can do this. <laughs> this is transmissible. You can say this stuff. What's it going to cost you? Ten minutes at lunch? You can say this stuff. You don't have to change the other person. You don't have to convince them. You don't have to figure this out. You can do this. There is, you think, well, you know, I don't have all, there is no secret ivory tower with the magic words and all the answers. If you think that some doctoral professor at Southern Seminary is better at this, than you can be, you're wrong. They may be better at a lot of other things. Not this. You can do this. This is transmissible. It's good news folks. Not bad news. Who doesn't want to hear good news? People who don't want to believe it. That's fair. Brush the dust off your feet and move on. I'm not saying you got to go back to the well every day for 10 years. With a co-worker. I mean the Lord can work. Share the gospel. It's simple. It's not hard. Verse 10. Look at Paul. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me. Was not in vain. Now this is a callback to the warning in verse 2. I skipped over it. But now we'll return to it. Look at verse 2. He's talking about the gospel. By which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word of faith. Which I preach to you. And then this warning. This addendum. Unless you believed in vain. That word vain. It's not a common word for Paul. He doesn't use that word in the Greek. Over and over again in all his readings. It's somewhat unique. And so again. It's not. Without point or emphasis that the word vain shows up again in verse 10. Now in verse 2 it says, unless you believed in vain. But in verse 10 it says, but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. We are warned about an intellectual, empty, meaningless belief in the pure facts of salvation. Don't do more than you should with that warning. We're warned that it exists. We're warned to be aware of it. We're warned, in other words, that people can hear the facts of the gospel and say that they believe and turned out not to be actually converted by the gospel message. We're, we're warned about that, but that doesn't mean, well, I shouldn't share the gospel because someone might just believe the facts. And I, I, you know. Again, you're not doing the conversion here, which is why when Paul calls back to this, his grace towards me was not in vain, he takes the emphasis off the individual doing the work and shifts it all to God. God's grace was not in vain. Human beings might believe something vainly, empty, without conversion, without commitment, without faith, without trust. They might turn the gospel into a list of facts. But when God works in someone's life, God does the heavy lifting. And when God does the heavy lifting, it is not in vain. There is conversion that takes place. That's why he says, by the grace of God, that converting work of God, I am what I am. Paul didn't do the heavy lifting to transform himself into an apostle. God did the heavy lifting. Here's the warning in James. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? In other words, someone who professes faith without conversion has clearly not been impacted by the grace of God because God's grace towards someone is not in vain. There is conversion that takes place. When we talk of the work of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life, we talk of the Holy Spirit in the language of Ephesians as the seal, the guarantee of our inheritance. Why do we talk about the Holy Spirit like that? Because when the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life, there is change that takes place. That change manifest is the guarantee God is at work. Paul says, look, I can tell you this in my own life. When God got a hold of me, By his grace, it wasn't in vain. Look at what he says. I labored more abundantly than all. That's what God will do to you. Do you know that? The grace of God, saving and converting in a person's life, you know what it does? It puts them to work. It puts them to work. This is why James says, Faith without works is dead. It's empty. Why? Because when God gets a hold of a person, he puts that person to work. There's a conversion that takes place. Here it is in the language of Ephesians 2. Now listen to this. This is the distinction between a mechanism of salvation and an explanation of conversion. Here it is. For by grace we're saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. Lest anyone should boast. Okay. Salvation. The mechanism. Hear the word. Believe the word. Faith. Faith. Very next verse, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, you're saved with a very easy, basic, transmissible gospel and when the Holy Spirit saves you by faith, there is a conversion into the workmanship, the craftsmanship of God because we are saved for good works, unto good works that we should walk in them. It's very convicting. It's encouraging. But it's convicting. Can you do me a favor this afternoon as you go home? I say it's a favor. Really it's a homework assignment. But I think I'll have a better odds if you think of it as a favor. You know, if it's a homework assignment helps you. Then write that down instead. I want you to do this. I want you to ask yourself. If I am a Christian. Saved if I can look at my life and see the evidence of God working, what good works, what craftsmanship does he want to demonstrate in my life now? What can I do this week to be the craftsmanship of God? You know, if you're a craftsman and you make things and you make something good, special, something that required sacrifice, Something that required an intelligent design. (laughs) Not meaningless. I'm not talking about the scraps. The test stuff that gets thrown off into the pile. When you really make something special. You want to hold that up. You want to put it out there. I've seen some of you guys put the stuff on Facebook. That you're proud of. Working on. Doing projects. I've seen it. That's good. That's cool. What is God doing in your life? How would he hold you up as his craftsmanship? You got to understand, if you believe the scriptures, and I'm going to assume if you're a Christian, you do. You are his craftsmanship created for good works that you should walk in them. God's revelation to the world is in some way depicted in the work of your life, which his grace empowers you to perform. Now, I, this is not a guilt trip. Some of you are here just like, oh man, I don't like where this is going. Is he trying to say we're lazy or we're not? It's not a guilt trip. No, this is, this is a, 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 a motivational speech here. What can you do this week to display the craftsmanship of God? You know the awesome thing about that? I don't get to tell you what that, what that is. <laughs> you know? I don't get, you're not my project. So, <laughs> you're God's project. Go and bring joy to your master. Go and bring joy to the one who has made you who you are, who by his grace alone has saved you from what you were, who has called you to be something that you are unworthy to be. You know, wake up tomorrow and display his craftsmanship, the fingerprints of the potter impressed upon the clay. Display it to the world. That's exciting stuff. And I bet if you approach your life like that, I bet the gospel will be transmitted. I bet you won't find it nearly as challenging to say what Paul says in like eight verses. I mean, the gospel does not have to be a two hour long presentation. Paul did it in like a minute and a half. It'll come out because it's good news that's transmissible. But you know, if you're primarily concerned about what kind of work that your employer wants to get out of you, or your husband or your wife needs from you, or your kids need you to perform, if you're primarily concerned about all the other daily obligations, many of them important, that we have to perform, Your mind is not going to be on displaying the craftsmanship of God and you shouldn't be surprised if the gospel is not transmitted. The radio signal is off. But if you'll be led by the Spirit as you perform the obligations for the roles that God has given you, the radio signal will be on. You will share the Word of God because you believe the Word of God and it has transformed your life and you can't help but transmit it to others. Let's close with a word of prayer. <laughs> Father, in our naivety, in our our superficial impressions of the world, we often lose track, I'm afraid, of the impact that this Version 1.0 gospel has made on the world over the course of 2,000 years. But the very fact that there is a Christmas holiday is the resonance of the way your word has transformed hearts and lives and stubborn, hard-hearted people for thousands of years. Or else there would be no Christmas holiday. The evidence of a designer are all around us, not merely in biology or anatomy. The evidence of a designer are written upon our culture, they're written on our own hearts, our innate knowledge of sin, our desire for a solution to the problem of death. Even if it's merely a psychological solution, our evidence that we were created for something more. And 40, 50, 60 years. Father, let us transmit the glorious gospel of Jesus and entrust you to do what only you can, which is transform hearts and lives by your grace to be at work in them. Give us the joy of seeing that. Help us have the joy of remembering it. Help us not to be cold-hearted and callous and stubborn obstinate as if you cannot do what you have been doing for thousands of years which we ourselves bear evidence of. There is no person too far from the work of your spirit. Those whom you save you will save. Give us this faith and confidence. Bless our tithes and offerings. Help us to use them to bring you glory and honor. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.